Go ahead and open in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 15 through 17. And so if you're uh, unsure where that's at, just go to the table of contents at the beginning of your Bible, and it'll help you find your way to 1 John over there. And so I'm going to read it. I know you're still turning, many are still turning there, but I'm going to read it to you, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get going. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. And so, Father, we come before you and we pray that you would help us, that you'd open up our hearts, open up our minds to hear what you want to say to us through your word this morning. Teach us what it means uh, to not love the world, but instead to cast our affections, our love unto you instead. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we've been in a series in First John for the past, I don't know, several weeks, I don't know how many weeks it's been. Uh, but we've been walking through this, God, this, this, this letter from the Apostle John, uh, but we haven't been doing it verse by verse, which is our typical mode. We've been doing it thematically because John hits several of these themes in multiple places. And so we saw at the beginning what he was talking about. The whole point of the letter is John is writing this letter to people who, who existed in churches who had theological developments in their church that led some people to leave their church or leave the apostolic faith because they started to believe different things about who Jesus was. And so what his point was in this letter was was to say, if you want the original faith, if you want the real thing, then you need to remain with us, to stay with us. And so then we've seen over the past several weeks, different methods that John gives us for what remaining looks like. And so we've seen that remaining means to live by repentance. Remaining means to live by obedience to God, just like the Son has always lived in obedience to His Father. Uh, We've seen how remaining means to love one another. And so this week, Remaining, one method that John gives us for remaining is to exchange or replace your affections. To exchange your affections. So check this out. This text actually breaks down in a really helpful way for us, um, in a really simple way, actually. Uh, So it gives us his command at the beginning, verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in this world. Command, easy, don't love it. Okay, Then it breaks down. He says, okay, well, then what's that mean to love the world? Then why should we not love the world? And then how do we not love the world? It's pretty pretty awesome how it breaks down in this manner. Super simple for us to be able to follow his, his argument here. So one, don't love the world. Then what's that mean? Why you shouldn't do it? And how do you not do it? And so look at the text with me here. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. That's the main command. If you take anything from here today, that's what he says. Don't love the world. Okay, for us, why does he begin here? Why does he say don't love the world? Well, what does love have to do with anything? How you live your life 
the actions you decide to take, what you decide to do with your hobbies or your free time, what you do at home, are an extension of what you love in your heart. You see, your affections are what guide your behavior, what guide your belief, what guides your life. It's your affections deep in your heart. It's the thing that you want in your heart. That's what dictates what you do in your life. And so, therefore, since that's the case about all of us, like, for example, I, said Don, I accidentally said Don Pablo's last week, okay? You know how many people came up to me and started moaning about the fact that Don Pablo's isn't open anymore? A lot of people. Now, why did they do that? Because they had this affection in their heart for this Mexican food place that's no longer there anymore. And so when I brought it up, this, this, there was, they were drawn in their heart to go to Don Pablo's, but they can't go there anymore. And so what happened? It led them to be sad, right? Your affections will dictate or guide how you live your life, right? And John knows that. And so he's saying you need to ensure that your affections are placed in the right place. And so he's saying the wrong place to place your affections are the world. Don't love the world or the things in the world. Now, when you first read this text, you're like, wait, doesn't John 3.16 say that God so loved the world that he sent his one son, his one and only son? Like, isn't that like, isn't this opposite of what he says in that in John. So, here's a little theology lesson or word lesson. I don't know syntax. syntax I don't know. John, the apostle John, when he write, uses the word world, he actually he uses it in two different ways, right? So, in one sense, when John is using the word world, he just means creation or people in general. And in that sense, that's what he's talking about in John 3.16. He says, God so loved his creation. He so loved people. He so loved you because you're a part of it. But there's a second sense in which John uses the word world that he means people that have corrupted his creation. He means his creation that's been corrupted, and now people are living separate from him. And they're apart from him or outside of his ways. And so that's another way that John uses the word world. And so John, actually, in chapter 1, verse 10, not the letter of John, but the gospel of John, we actually see both of these uses in the same verse. Check this out. He was in the world, meaning Jesus, and the world was created through him. So he was in his creation, and the world, meaning creation, was created through him, but... The world did not recognize him. You see the two different uses there? You have creation, and then you have the world as a personality who doesn't recognize him, right? And so you can see these two, the two different things at play here. So in this text here in 1 John, when he says, do not love the world, he's not saying, don't love other people. That's the opposite of what we said last week, right? What he's saying is, watch out. Don't love the world that is set against God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So check this out. When I first got married to Dara, uh, our first year of, of being married, uh, we got a weenie dog, okay? So we were like, oh, I man, this is going to be great. So Dara, some, some person brought this box of baby weenie dogs up to Dara's work. 
Uh, we'd been married for about six months at this point, and she calls me one day, and, she, and she's like, there's weenie dogs at work, okay? You need to come check this out because there's only one left. And she, the girl brought it to my office, right? And so I go meet her at Waterburger, which is right next to where she worked at the time. And she brings this dog, uh, and she, she's like, listen, look at the picture of this dog. You, we got to have this dog. It's not, it's not old enough yet. It's like four weeks, but in two weeks, then we can have this dog. Like, this is the last one. We got to have this dog. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. We'll get the dog, okay? I'd never been a dog owner before. My, my parents had been dog owners. You know, it's like when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I'll feed it. Like, no, your parents are going to feed it. I was never a dog owner before, so I didn't know what life with a puppy was like. So we got this dog, and man, this thing was adorable, okay? We named her Rita, and this was a miniature dachshund, and she, when you, she, she would fit in the palm of your hand. It was, she was adorable, okay? This little tiny weenie dog. And, but after a while, I remember, I, after about two weeks, I was like, oh, no, this is a puppy. The puppies are not cute. Puppies are the worst. Puppies poop everywhere. And I remember sitting at one point, this dog would not stop. I didn't know how to get this dog to stop barking, right? And so I was sitting at the end of our bed. We, you know, Dara was at work or somewhere else. And, and I was sitting at the end of the bed, staring down at the dog on the ground, looking up at me. And we're just sitting there. And I remember thinking, I was 20, 21 at the time. I remember looking at this dog thinking, I'm stuck with this thing until I'm 35 years old. Right. But you know what, was ha- you know what happened with this dog? Over time, over time, we begin to grow this deep love for this dog, right? This deep love for this dog. And like people, some people here who knew us at the time like really know that we love this dog, okay? This thing was amazing. We got so into this weenie dog that we took her up to these weenie dog races in South Lake. It was like a weenie dog convention. And, uh, and we, we, she, was, she was doing this weenie dog race, and I got... I got smoked chicken, and I held it at the end of the line. I was like, come on, dog, you're going to win this. Like, just like trying to get her to win. And so we loved this thing. Now, one day we were walking at Target or somewhere. I don't know where we were at. But we had fully bought into the Weenie Dog Club by this point. Our affection for this dog has led us to this dismal place where we are walking by, and we see on this shelf Weenie Dog bookends, okay? If you're not familiar with what a bookend is, Bookends are what hold books together on your shelf. And so you have the weenie dog head on one end, and you have the weenie dog booty on the other end, okay? And the more books you amass, the longer your weenie dog gets, okay? And we're staring at this, and I remember looking at this, like, Dara, look at this. And she's like, weenie dog bookends, we got to have. And so a normal person, right, is going to look at this and think, that's kind of strange. We just need to move on. We don't need to waste money on Winnie Dog bookends, but not us. We look at this and think, that's going to complete our marriage, right? <laughs> now, why would I get to that point? Because that's where our affection was, right? That's where our affection was. And so all that to say that when you have your heart set in some place or on some person or in some event or in some future, then that thing is going to be what guides you in your life. That's going to lead you to make decisions that ordinarily, outside of the context of that love, you wouldn't have thought, you know what, I need to buy that, or I need to do that, or I need to react that way. And so the question then for us in this next thing is, well, then what's it mean to love the world, and why is that a bad thing? What's it mean to love the world and why is it a bad thing? Look at the next part of verse 15. 
It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, John says, before we get to why you shouldn't love the world, let me just tell you this. Love for the world and love for the Father do not coexist together. They are mutually exclusive. You either love the Father or you love the world. You cannot have both of them at the same time. Okay? Well, then what's it mean to love the world? And why is loving the world attractive to us? So let's go down to verse 16. It says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. See, John here begins to give a description for what it actually means to love the world, right? He says, the love, of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, that contains, not to the fullest extent, but a, like, uh, like to give us an idea of what he's talking about, what it means to be loving the world. Now, why does he talk about the lust of the eyes? This is kind of important for us. You see, loving the world has to do with living for that which you can see only. You see, he talks about lust of the eyes. He's saying, you are living for only which that, like that, that which you can see, like that which you can touch, that which you can, you can taste, you can see with your own, your own eyes. It's called naturalism, right? If you've, if you've tracked with us several years, we were talking about that for a while. Naturalism is a thing in which, in which the kind of the scientific theory, everything is all about only that, like the stuff that you can physically test is what's real, right? It's called naturalism. And, like, when we bring that into our Christian faith, like, it begins to arise doubts in our minds. And then we, like, we're like, well, I don't know about this. Like, is this really real? Is God really out there? Like, I don't, can I really trust this? You know what I can trust, though? I don't know if God's really there, but I can trust my 401K. That's what's going to protect me, right? You can see how this stuff creeps in. And he's saying, if you're living for the things that only what you can see, it's like, you're not living by faith. You're trusting in the stuff that's right in front of you. That's what you're living for. That's what the lust of the eyes is. He says, that what's also the lust of the flesh? He's saying, you're using your belief and trusting the things that you can see right in front of you to fulfill your very real needs in your life, right? The lust of the flesh, you're seeking to satisfy physical needs, physical desires, apart from faith in the Father. That's what he's saying. The lust of the flesh. You see, you and I are physical people, and we have physical needs, physical desires. We desire to be fed. We desire to be comforted. We desire to, to be relaxed. We desire to have these things, to find peace in our lives. But when we live as outside of the bounds of faith, then we are only going to be able to fulfill those needs in our lives with things that we can see to our detriment in many times. And so that's how we get to situations of gluttony or situations of alcoholism or situations of sexual idolatry or sexual immorality. Why do we turn in those ways? Why? We're seeking to fulfill real desires, real needs that are placed inside of our heart from our Father in heaven who created us this way, and we're trying to fill them in ways that are apart from Him. That's what He's saying is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And you can see also how it gets to this way, right? Because another thing we so desire is security. See, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. You know what? You know what your 401k 
I'm not saying they're bad. But you know what that can develop in your heart? Or what's in your garage? Or the size of your house? Or the amount in your bank account? Just your general checking? <laughs> what do these things develop in your heart? You turn and look at them because they provide security for you. They bring peace about what your future is going to look like, right? And again, I have savings. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But what they can do in our hearts as we, as we focus or think prolonged thoughts about these things in our lives is what they can do is they can begin to distort where our hope really lies, right? They can begin to distort that in our hearts to where what comes out of us when we're thinking about our money, when we're thinking about our possessions, when we're thinking about these things is my hope is in this because this is going to take care of me, right? And it, and, it, and it leaves us overlooking our need to be dependent upon God. You see, Jesus talks about this. There's a parable in Luke chapter 12 in which he's talking about a rich fool. Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13, he says, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, it's not really um, the point I'm here about. That's not really why I'm here. But you know what? I'll take it up. We'll discuss finances, okay? He says, friend, who appointed me as a judge or arbiter over you? Then he told them, watch out. Be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus told them a parable. He said, a rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, see, his, he's, he's invested all this stuff in his company, and his returns have been so much this, this past year. He's, he's amassed so much volume in terms of his harvest, and so now he's like, I've got so much money, I've got so much stuff, I don't know what to do with it all. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger ones to then store all of my stuff that I've amassed in that one. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, because this very night your life is demanded of you. And these things you've prepared, whose are they going to be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You see, Jesus tells that parable, and it's following the same theme of what John is telling us here. He's saying, listen, when you're considering how to live your life, when you're considering what do I want to follow, what do I want to focus on, what is most valuable for my time as I'm just living my life this week, what John is saying is, be careful. Don't love the world. Don't chase the world. Don't chase after these things, only the things that you can see. Don't run after that. You need to live by faith. Why? Here's what he says. Here's why you shouldn't love the world. Verse 17, because the world with its lust is passing away. There's an expiration date. You see, when you and I, like even no matter how much money we get, we're going to die one day. There will be a funeral for you and me. It's kind of a bummer to think about, honestly. I don't like to think about that. But the reality is there. One day, you and I will die. And regardless of what you've amassed in your life, it's over at that point. The world and its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. 
You see, you're exchanging something at this point, right? See, the one who does the will of God remains forever. You're exchanging something that is temporary that you can see for something that is unseen. It is lived by faith, but is eternal. That's what he's saying. Don't love the world. Why? It's passing away. You can get a lot of cool stuff here. You can have all the cool ATVs in the world. Have a great time with your family. But one day it's going to pass away. And if all of your eggs are in that basket, then when it's ripped out from under you, it's gone. So I was listening to uh, is a, a YouTube video. Uh, Mark Cuban was talking about how he spent his first million or billion dollars, okay? He's a very rich man, by the way, if you didn't know that. He's a super rich dude. But he's talking about how he spent his money. And uh, he said he, he got to his house, and he, he bought a $12.5 million house after he bought the maps. And uh, it came open on the market, and his friend sent it to him. He's like, dude, you got to get this house. And he's like, whatever, I'm a billionaire, I'll get it. And he's like, that was the first just like, I'm a billionaire. I'm just going to do it, sight unseen. It's crazy, crazy life. Someone could do that. But he did. $12.5 million house. We said, but here's a lesson for you. You know why that house is available on the market? The man, that, the, the dude that built it, built it for his family. And it was their dream house. And he got to live in it for eight months. But then he had to sell it to me. So you know why? All of his wealth were in stocks. And all of a sudden, the market tanked, and he lost all of his wealth. He's like, so lesson for you. You need to protect your assets. That's what he was telling me. But all I was taking away was, don't trust, don't live for the world. Like, why? Because even if you are the wealthiest person in the world, where you can build a $12.5 million home in one moment, that can be ripped out from under you if the, if the, if the market tanks. So you can't trust it. The world is going to pass away. The world is going to pass away, but the one who does the will of the Lord remains forever. So here, here's the last point here. How then do you not love the world? How do you not? You see, we've seen don't love the world. We've seen what's it mean to love the world. We've seen why you shouldn't love the world is passing away. But then here's the last question. Because you can get all those things, you're like, okay, that's great. I shouldn't do it. I'm just going to try real hard to not do it, right? The last one is, how do you not love the world? You see, there was a, uh, a Scottish pastor and theologian in the 1700s, or early 1800s, late 1700s, named Thomas Chalmers. This dude's brilliant. And uh, he wrote a, a sermon on this text here in 1 John, in which uh, the, the real wordy, okay, real wordy stuff is a great sermon, but his title was The, Explos- the Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. You should go check it out if you're interested. Thomas Chalmers. But in this, he's talking about this text, and he says, don't love the world. Okay, how do you not love the world? How do we do it? Because we are physical people in a physical world, and we can see all this stuff, and we're like, oh, man, I want to make more money, and I want to have a cool car, car, and I want to have sweet bikes in my garage, right? It's all of us. You want to have these things. And so how do you not love the world? Like, how do you not put all your, your eggs in this basket? What do you do? And he says, here's your options. You have two options in terms of not loving the world. He says, one, you can seek to withdraw your affection from an object 
that you're trying to tell yourself is not worthy of your affection. So it's like, I love this thing, but I shouldn't love it, so I'm going to stop loving it. Or you can seek to replace your love for this object for something that's better, right? And he spends his whole sermon saying, I'm going to tell you for this whole sermon why number two option is better, why you should replace your affection with something that's better rather than try to just tell yourself, no, the world's bad. I shouldn't love it. You see, here's the thing. You cannot, you and I naturally love the world. Why? Because we're here. We live in it. We see it every day. We live for it at work, right? But you cannot just stop loving something. Like, you can't just say, you know what, I'm done loving this, turning off that faucet. That's why breakups hurt so bad, right? When you break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend or you go through a divorce or something like that, like, why does it hurt you so bad? Because you can't just stop loving someone on a dime like that. But the second option, what Thomas Chalmers talks about here, he says this, you need to set forth an object that is far more worthy of your affection before your, before your eyes. So that way you can then exchange your affection for the less worthy object, for this more worthy object. You see, what, what Jesus actually does after that parable in Luke chapter 12 is he does this very thing. You see, back in Luke chapter 12, he, he gives that parable of the rich man. And he says, don't be like the rich man, right? What did the rich man do? He was like, I'm living for all this stuff, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to build bigger barns, bigger barns to store all my stuff in that, and I'm going to take my life easy. I'm going to have a good life. And Jesus doesn't end that by saying, don't be dumb like the rich man. That's not how he ends the parable. You know how he continues on in the, in the, in the Gospel of Luke? Listen to what he says. He says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, instead of being the rich man, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, but God feeds them. Aren't you much more worthy, or aren't you worth much more? Than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying you by worrying? And if then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink, or, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old and inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what he just said there is he says, the typical mode for most people 
is to live to build up our assets, to live to build up our lives, to live for what I've got right in front of me today, to love the world. But he says, I want you to exchange that. I want you to think radically about this new kingdom, this new thing that I've got going on, this new relationship with God that I'm trying to teach you about. He says, instead of living in that manner, I want you to live in true freedom. He says, I want you instead to trust your heavenly Father, to live by faith in the things that you can't see, and the Father out there who cares so deeply about you. He says, you care about these things. He's like, but look at the flowers of the field. Like, you care about what you wear. You care about what you do. You care about all these things. You care about what's going to be for lunch today. It's not going to be Don Pablo's. But your Father in heaven knows that you need these things. Your Father in heaven knows these things, and He delights to give these things to you. That's what it says. And so it says, seek first His kingdom, the one unseen, the one you have to watch and live for by faith. Seek that, and all the rest of these things will be added to you. Live by faith. Trust your Father in heaven. You see, you see what's happening here, right? It's an exchange. It's an exchange. He's saying, replace your love for our world for a Father in heaven who cares so deeply about you that he observes your life and wants to provide what you need. He wants to provide for you. Ultimately, what you and I see is this displayed on the cross of Christ, right? This is where we see this in its fullest extent, right? Your Father in heaven sees what we need. One, so desperately, we desperately need new hearts to be able to have a love for Him in the first place, right? And so what happens? He sent His Son to come and live the perfect life we couldn't live and die the death that we deserve on the cross and resurrect from the dead. So that way, upon our belief in Him, what does Jesus say? I'm going to exchange your hearts of stone for hearts of flesh. I'm going to give you new hearts, which give you new desires, which leads you then to love your Father in heaven, which would lead to peace in your life and faith building up in your life. That's what, he ha- that's what happens. That's how he's displayed it on the cross. So check this out. There's one more parable that Jesus tells. It's along the same lines. It's one verse, actually, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. So this dude's walking along, and he just finds this treasure in a field. And so what does he do? He hides it. He buries it back, and he he goes and searches the county records, figures out who owns that, that property, and he goes, and what does it say? In his joy, in his joy, check that out. He's happy to do this. He goes and he sells every asset he has to go and buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like that. He's like, it's it's an exchange. And check this out. This dude traded everything in his life in order to gain the kingdom of heaven, in order to gain something that you couldn't see. But he does it, and he's happy to do it. And so in the end, since the world's passing away anyway, what this dude finds out is that when he traded everything in his life in order to gain this kingdom of heaven that Christ brings, it actually didn't cost him anything, really. 
because it was his joy to get rid of everything else in order to gain this, right? And so here's the call from John here in 1 John this morning. He says, don't love the world, but instead exchange your affections. Exchange your affections. Build your life upon faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.